Hello, I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today, I'd like to talk about research in backward causality. And I'm talking about parapsychology research. This is uh, some of the most important research uh, in the field of parapsychology uh, because of its philosophical and theoretical implications, and also because it has an implication that you will probably recognize right away relates to you. The first line of studies have been called pre-sentiment research. The term presentiment originally, to my understanding, had to do with the idea that we often anticipate future events. And if you're anticipating an event, like if I hold my hands like this right next to your ears and you know I'm about to clap my hands like that, you're going to anticipate perhaps hearing a loud noise. But in these studies, the parapsychologists endeavored to rule out conventional anticipation because they presented stimuli. Typically, these were pictures, actually, as I recall, pictures that are emotionally charged, both positive and, and negative pictures. So, the expected response would be an emotional one. And these pictures were presented in a random order. And they're mixed in with other pictures that have no particular positive or negative charge. So, you're looking at some pictures. You're all wired up. So, your physiology is being measured. And occasionally, and you never know when, a picture will occur that should evoke, tends to evoke in people a very strong, either positive or negative, emotional response. The thing that the researchers observed here is that when the picture was one with a strong emotional component, roughly half a second before the picture was shown, and these are all in random order, they're not like regular, you don't know when the next picture will come, half a second before, the physiology of the body starts to react. And these experiments have now been repeated, I think, 20, 30 times uh, using a wide variety of physiological measurements, heartbeat, uh, blood volume, uh, brainwave activity, electrodermal activity, and even fMRI measurements of brain activity. So, uh, the overall results if you were to combine the, uh, all of those studies in a meta-analysis, which has been done, I think, back in 2010, uh, more than this, the statistical significance of those studies is greater than one in a billion, or what we sometimes refer to as Six Sigma. So, that's one line of research, but Daryl Bem, a very important emeritus psychologist of professor of psychology at Cornell University took this research a step further. Dr. Bem, incidentally, is the co-author of a major textbook in the field of psychology, Introduction to Psychology, widely used textbook for <laughs> the introductory classes that are given typically to freshmen and sophomores. Uh, most colleges. Um, very respected 
psychologist, and he thought, well, if physiology is influenced by stimuli from the future, or what we could think of as backward causality, causality coming to the present from the future, what about behavior? And he noted that there is a variety of psychological experiments where you normally you present a stimulus and then you measure a response. That's the way it works. In psychology, nobody thinks to measure the response before the stimulus is presented. But that's what he did. For example, he had a study in which um, people are sitting in front of a computer and on the computer screen, they see two windows with curtains drawn. And they are told behind one of those windows will be a stimulus. They'll be told it's a pleasant one or it's an unpleasant one. They'll be told that. And th then they're asked, choose the window where that stimulus will be. Now, it's a binary test. And sometimes the stimulus would be positive. Sometimes it would be negative. The interesting thing is this. There was nothing behind the curtains in the computer because the computer didn't make a choice until after the researcher, or the subjects in this experiment had made their selection. Then the computer using a pure random event generator, typically quantum mechanically based, but sometimes a pseudo random generator for different reasons. So they use both. The uh, computer makes a selection and lo and behold, the data shows that people are precognitively choosing the window that where the positive stimulus appears and more often than not, precognitively avoiding the window where the negative emotionally charged picture would be shown to them. And uh, there were like, I think, nine experiments along these lines. Some involved uh, memory. For example, it's well known, you can understand this easily. If you rehearse a list of words and then you're asked to repeat all the words on this long list, let's say 50 words, and you rehearse them, you'll remember them more. Rehearsal helps memory. <laughs> Well known. Nobody would dispute that. But what if you don't get to rehearse the words until after you've been asked to repeat them? In other words, a list of, in this case, it's 48 words is shown to people. And then they're asked, now repeat as many of those words as you can. Then after that's been done, half of the words are selected at random by a computer. And then after the um, repetition has been recorded, the person gets to rehearse those words, the half, the 50% that have been selected, 24 of the 48 words. They get to rehearse those after they've already given their repetition of, of the initial list. And what do you know? Yes, the words that get repeated are the words that were rehearsed after the event. So, by rehearsing in the future, you can improve your scores in the present. Can you believe it? One would say, well, I ought to be able to ace all my exams that way. <laughs> and who knows? You know, I'm talking about a 2 to 3% 
improvement. It's statistically significant, especially when you're dealing with a hundred subjects taking 30, 40 trials each. So you've got three, 4,000 trials in the experiment. And if you're able to show a 3% improvement, it's measurable and statistically significant. In another study, uh, this is much more complicated, but here's how it works. You're shown two pictures. These pictures are roughly equivalent to each other, uh, but they're different, slightly different. And you're asked as quickly as you can, choose which of those you like the best. And now in conventional psychology, it is well understood that you can affect the person's choice by priming and you affect what you're affecting is their reaction time. That is to say, let's suppose it's a beaut two pictures are really beautiful, but subliminally before they look at the picture, you flash a word on a screen. They can't even recognize it consciously, but subconsciously, apparently they pick it up and subliminally, let's say the word is ugly. Well, that creates some dissonance, the word ugly and beautiful pictures. So what happens? Reaction time slows down. If reaction, if the word that is shown is beautiful and the pictures are beautiful or ugly and the pictures are ugly, that's consonant. There isn't any dissonance and reaction time is not slowed down. But in Daryl Bem's research, the word flashed subliminally chosen at random, again, as I recall, is to be either consonant or dissonant. Uh, that word is shown after they've made their choice. And yet, so the priming uh, has to take place by means of reverse causality, which I can tell you is a topic that is uh, hot in physics for the last five or six years now. There have been annual conferences for physicists looking at backwards causality, influences from the future affecting the present. So, Daryl Bem conducted nine different experiments over a period of many years using very rigorous statistical and methodological approaches to these studies. And after many years, he published his findings in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, one of the big journals published by the American Psychological Association. Not their flagship journal, but a very important journal. And naturally, uh, like every parapsychology experiment, it brought the skeptics out of the woodwork and it was widely attacked, which parapsychologists have come to expect that. It's one of the reasons, frankly, that parapsychologists are such good scientists because everything they do is highly scrutinized and attacked. And if they're fortunate enough to have a university position like Daryl Bem, an emeritus professor, highly esteemed, you know, they're accustomed to it and they will uh, deal with it appropriately as he did. He responded to all of his criticisms. He made uh, computer software available so that researchers all over the world could replicate his studies. And just a couple of years ago, he published a meta-analysis of 90 different experiments from 33 different laboratories in 14 different countries. And once again, the statistical results were 
comparable to what he had achieved. So, if you were to combine those 90 experiments again, you got an overall statistically significant result. The odds of getting that result by chance alone would have been less than 1 in 10 billion. So, uh, the results were phenomenal, but unfortunately, to, to my understanding, that meta-analysis is available on the internet. It was at one time accepted for publication in a journal, but then a senior editor of that journal, I think it was called Frontiers, a major scientific journal, the executive, one of the executive editors said, let's get one more reviewer. They didn't like the idea of publishing a study supporting parapsychology. So, they found a reviewer and that reviewer said, no, don't publish because even though it's statistically significant, you need to have theoretical significance. You have to understand how it is possibly possible for this to happen. It defies logic. There's no explanation. So, they, after they'd already accepted publication, they backed off and uh, wouldn't publish this meta-analysis. But, and of course, it's true. Parapsychologists don't have an accepted theory for how these things work. There are many interesting proposals for theoretical models, and um, that's very important. But in any case, you know, science to, from the point of view of a parapsychologist, science should be data-driven. When you've got 90 replications of a finding, it's time to pay attention. Uh, hopefully, a theoretical explanation will come along after the fact. Now, as I mentioned earlier, you'll probably get right away that this data, these parapsychology studies affect you because what it means is that your very physiology is being influenced by what is about to happen half a second in the future. And not only that, your behavior is affected by events that are unpredictable to you because they're random events. But when they occur in the future, they can actually affect your behavior. It raises huge philosophical problems. I'm sure you can appreciate that because if the future is fixed, this is what physicists call a block universe. Everything is predetermined from the beginning of time to the end of time. So, we have no free will which certainly uh, goes against our common sense understanding. Now, I know that a huge amount of human behavior is conditioned, determined, but I don't think it's all determined. I think we do have free will. So, you know, that's a puzzle that's going to take a long time for people to sort out. But the, you know, the data is there. I think as a parapsychologist, an empiricist, a data-driven person, I think we have to pay attention to the data. Hopefully, our understanding will follow from it. I'll leave you with those thoughts. Thank you for being with me.